John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Second hour of John Clayton here. I'm Curtis Rogers with you this morning. we got another hour to go, and as we do pretty much every Thursday, we are joined by our friend and yours, Michael Bumpus, host of Hawks Live. You know him from the Seahawks pre- and post-game show and here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Bump, how you doing this morning? See, Raj, what's up, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing good, doing good. Just flying this this ship here, flying this plane, trying to land it uh, ever so gracefully. But bump the Seahawks story this week, and really the last couple weeks has been the defense. So I want to change things up on you here to start it off. You're an offensive guy. You're a receiver. You want the ball in your hands. What challenges will Seattle's offense have going up against this Rams defense that has looked really, really steady here in 2020? Man, you know the first name you got to mention is Aaron Donald. This dude has nine sacks, first in the NFL as an interior lineman. The Rams in general have 24-25 sacks, which is second in the league. So they're going to get after the quarterback. You have some issues on the offensive line now. Postic has a concussion. You got some young guys and Damian Lewis. Simmons has begun to reps. So it's really just every week protecting Russell Wilson and allowing him to make good decisions. And then in the secondary, Jalen Ramsey is lurking. He doesn't get a lot of turnovers, but he does cause havoc. This Rams defense is better than what people think, and this this team in general is better, especially if Jared Goff can get going. Yeah, you mentioned Jared Goff in this Rams offense. Uh, how do you see this Rams offense in a different light over the last couple of years? Because gone are guys like Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley, the big superstar names, but they've still been able to, to move the ball pretty effectively this season, and they've been able to also do it on the ground uh, this year. What is it from the Rams that continues to make this offense churn, even though they may not have the, the same recognizable names that we've seen over the last couple of years? Man, you mentioned it. Henderson's getting it done. 458 yards, four touchdowns. And don't forget Brown as well. They have a nice little one-two combo back there. And these guys get north and south. And this offensive line is performing at a high level as well when golf has only been sacked 10 or 11 times. So you know that they're protecting and they're getting north-south. I think that what was missing with Todd Gurley is he wasn't getting north-south. He was banged up, um, didn't have the same production. So with these young backs, uh, they're keeping defenses honest. And when you can do that, you can run that jet sweep to Woods. You can allow Cooper Cup to get going. They have a nice flow. You have to make Jared Goff uncomfortable. We saw that against the Miami Dolphins. If he's not comfortable, he's going to toss the ball up. There are turnovers to be made out there. He is Michael Bumpus joining us here on John Clayton. I'm Curtis Rogers. And, and, and Bump, you being the former receiver, when you look at these two offenses and what they bring to the table, which one would you rather be a part of? Would you rather be a part of letting Russ cook here in Seattle? Or would you rather, uh, with all the jet sweeps and everything going on with the Rams, would you rather be a part of that one? See, now the only reason I'm going to say the Rams is because I wasn't a D-ball threat, right? I wasn't DK. <laughs> I wasn't Lockett. You know these guys are going to take their shots. But I say the Rams because they just allow those quick routes to work for them. That's just my game. Now, if I were your prototypical quarterback, I would like to be in the Seattle offense because they're going to roll out. They're going to take their shots. So each offense has its advantages and disadvantages. It's all about what attributes you bring to the table. But honestly, I like both, Rodgers. 
this uh, this morning, Sean McVay, in his conference call with the Seattle media, he talked about how a key for them is going to be limiting turnovers against Seattle's defense, and that really uh, gave them troubles against the Dolphins a couple weeks ago. When you look at Seattle's defense and just kind of the patchwork you know, pieces that have been put in here over the last couple of weeks, do you think they will be able to have success generating turnovers against Goff? I mean, he's he's never been a quarterback that's really thrown a, a crazy amount of interceptions, but in that Miami game, the Dolphins very advantageous, forcing fumbles and all that. Do you think Seattle's defense can, can bounce back and generate that kind of craziness against Jared Goff? Yeah, Raj, I think they can. And I think they can because they've shown that they can play an aggressive style of play. And that's kind of what makes Jared Goff nervous and he tosses it up. The thing is, on the back end, you have to be able to protect. You can't send pressure and then have guys losing their integrity on the back end. If they could, if you have the flat, you get the flat. And they can reroute these wide receivers and make Jared Goff get off his first and second read. Honestly, I think they can. But when you start to blitz like that, you're rolling the dice. And every now and then, a team is going to make a play. So if you do play aggressive, you just have to realize that there's going to be one or two big plays, especially when you have Cooper Cup and Woods over there going to work for him. Bump, when you took a look at yesterday's injury report, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, those are two names that, that really jump out because that's where they've been, the do not participate or did not participate uh, for you know another day. They haven't played uh, the last couple of weeks here. When you look at Seattle's offense you know, going up into this game against the Rams, but then also that quick turnaround uh, five days after with the Cardinals, what do you think Seattle should do with that running back position heading into the Rams game? Should they keep that Cardinals game in mind if Chris Carson is, say, maybe 75-80% ready to go against the Rams? Or or should they you know, go all out against the Rams and, and look to uh, put some padding between them and L.A.? I think you got to go all out. I, I mean, this 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 division is extremely competitive. And when you can get a win, you can get a win. And week by week, you can change your game plan. And honestly, I'm okay with DJ Dallas and what he's doing back there. I think as the season progresses, as he gets more carries, he's going to look more comfortable and be able to get loose. He gains chemistry with that offensive line. But it's win right now. Win every week. You took a loss to a team that you thought you were going to beat in the Bills. So it's time to go 7-2. and two. Whenever you get a win in this league, you take it and then you worry about the next week. The great thing about the NFL is you have time to plan. Now, with that short week, you're going to have less time to plan. So I expect these coaches to kind of start developing a game plan for the Cardinals this week. But it's all about the Rams. Put all your focus on the Rams and win this game however you can. Yeah, it's going to be a very quick turnaround for the Seahawks over the next couple of days. Uh, another injury to watch out for on Sunday, or at least you know over the next couple of days, is Ethan Posick. He's out uh, with a concussion right now, didn't participate in Wednesday's practice. Going up against Aaron Donald, already a tough task, but if Seattle doesn't have Posick out there, uh, Bump, how do you see this offensive line performing without one of their, their steadier performers this season? Without Ethan Posick, it's going to be tough. It was already going to be tough with Ethan Posick, and now you don't have that guy there. Uh, they're going to have to do some shuffling. Thankfully for the Seahawks, they have some guys in rotation earlier in the season that's not really at that center spot. This is when you start saying, man, I wish I had B.J. Finney. <laughs> you know, but they didn't anticipate this. But it's all about next man up. I, look, Russell's going to be under pressure. The Rams are going to get after him. It's all about how are they going to counter that pressure. Quick game screens, draws. You have to keep these guys off balance because you know they're going to bring the heat just sitting in four, especially when you got 
whoever's going to be at that center spot. Aaron Donald, he's already going to get a sack. I'm going to call it, see, Rodgers. He's going to get a sack this game. That's all about limiting his, um, his effectiveness in this football game. He's going to push the, the offensive line back. He's going to do his thing. You have to live with that. It's all about how are you going to counter that at this point. Aaron Donald getting a sack bump. Bull take Fridays tomorrow. This is you're 24 hours early here. <laughs> uh, watch out now. Watch out when you're throwing around big takes like that. You know who knows if they're going to come true. Uh, Michael Bumpus here with me on Seven Ten ESPN Seattle and Bump. Looking at Seattle's secondary going up against this Rams passing attack, uh, it really struggled against Josh Allen last week. Uh, there's a chance Shaquille Griffin doesn't play. There's a, a chance Quentin Dunbar doesn't play. Which actually, you know, Quentin Dunbar last week he was a, a serious liability against Buffalo. So maybe a, a blessing in disguise there. But with Trey Flowers on one side and and TBD to be determined on the other side. Do you think Seattle has a, a similar game to what we saw last week against Josh Allen and the Bills uh, defensively, or, or do you think there is going to be a little bit better of a performance from this group uh, going up against the Rams? Well, I, I think that Trey Flowers is turning a corner. He had his best game of the year last uh, last week, so I'm I'm optimistic there. Now, on the other side, honestly, I think they can get better just because Dunbar was banged up. You look at this guy playing in the first quarter – he can't drive off of his knee. He's playing 20 yards off the ball. He's just trying to survive out there. Quinn Dunbar is always going to be your best option when you look at this depth chart. But you also have to look at who's healthy. You'd rather have a guy out there who's inexperienced and healthy rather than a guy who's experienced and just not able to get it done. So their best bet is to let Quinn Dunbar sit. But I think that they can play better. I also think that they're going to give up yards. That's just the way this defense is built. That's just who they have on that side of the ball. They need those big moments, though. That's what makes this defense come through at times because they have big moments. They're not going to be world beaters. They're not going to just dominate a defense. Maybe they will, but uh, data says and history says that they're not going to do that. So get guys who are healthy out there and just survive, man. Get through this game. Cause a couple of turnovers. Give yourself a chance. Snacks Harrison yesterday from Pete Carroll sounded like he's going to be good to go for Sunday, especially with Brian Monet nursing that ankle injury. Uh, for however many plays we see from Snacks Harrison, what do you think his impact will be when he's out there having you know not really played uh, in close to a full season? Honestly, I think his his um, his role this week is to give Jay Reed a break. Jay Reed had one of his best games last week with two and a half sacks. I mean, at that position, you're going to take on double teams and try to collapse the the pocket. You're not really dependent on snacks at this point. You're trying to get him out there and see what he has left in the tank. So um, his role this week is really just to give Jay Reed a break. When Jay Reed is tired, he has the helmet, there's rotation in. Get in there, give him a break. And if he makes a play, then you'll take that. If he doesn't make a play and he just takes on the double team and he's stout, you'll take that as well. Lower expectations for a guy who, one, has been sitting at home for a while. It took uh, three or four weeks to get in shape. Uh, lower expectations, he's really just a rotation guy at this point. He is Michael Bumpus, host of Hawks Live, which you can hear every Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Who do you guys have on tonight? Oh, man, two, hey, two, we don't know yet. We oh. had Jerry last week. <laughs> hey, Nats are scrambling around. I'm sure he's going to get somebody good for us. Uh, can't wait to hear. Can't wait to hear. Bump, thank you so much for joining us, uh, and, and you stay safe out there. 
All right, see you, Ross. See you soon, man. See you, Bump. That is Michael Bumpus joining us here. He will be hosting Hawks Live tonight from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But as we do each and every day here, we will get you our report cards next. Make sure you're listening to the show via the 710 Sports app. It is powered by the Dubin Law Group. Up next, it is time to hand out some grades. I'm Curtis Rogers filling in for the professor, John Clayton, on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for The Report Card with the Professor. Well, not quite the Professor. I'll be the TA today. I'm Curtis Rogers filling in for John Clayton here on 710 ESPN Seattle. But let's get into today's report card. So, really, I mean, I got no dissenting opinions here. So, I guess what I say, it's final say with all of what uh, we're going to be grading here today on the report card. So, let's get started today with Lamar Jackson, who appeared on the Rich Eisen show. And Lamar Jackson was asked about, you know, year number three as a starter, how the Ravens, they're good, but they haven't really been the juggernaut that everybody kind of expected them to be this year. Uh, and also kind of how defenses are starting to adjust to him and the Ravens offense. Jackson hasn't exactly had that, that game changing type season that we saw a year ago in the NFL. Well, Jackson, he was rather frank with his response with Rich Eisen, even going so far as saying, you know, defenses, they're starting to sniff us out. From the eye test, it looks like things aren't coming as easy for you this year. Is that a safe way to look at it? That things uh, I feel, um, you know, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of with schemes. You know, um, we're going against defenses. Um, they call out our play, stuff like that. Like, they know what we're doing. So a lot of that, you know, sometimes, you know, stuff won't go our way if they beat us to the punch. So you're you're hearing on the other side of the line of scrimmage the defense calling out your plays? That's what yeah, you're they definitely do. Like runs, stuff like that. Uh, watch out for this. Watch out for that. Sometimes that's what's going on. So, so how do you how do you combat that, Lamar? So we, I guess, we're going to have time and let coach you know let us know what he sees upstairs, mm-hmm. and we just go from there. Lamar, I don't know if a national radio show is the best place to divulge something like that. Not because of you know how great uh, of a soundbite that is. Trust me, we're eating it up like crazy today. But it throws your team and your teammates and you and your offensive coordinator and your coaches, it throws everybody under the bus like that. you got to look out for the locker room, man. You can't be sharing stuff like that if you're a quarterback. Now, from a media standpoint, from somebody who is currently hosting a radio show right now, oh, Keep saying stuff like that, Lamar. Keep giving us those gems. From a locker room standpoint, I got to give that answer about a D minus. I mean, yeah, those frustrations that he's feeling are probably echoed throughout that offensive group in Baltimore. But man, you cannot give people in the media, you cannot give us nuggets like that because we are going to make a mountain out of a molehill. Lamar, I know you're you're year three in the NFL, but that was kind of a, a rookie mistake on your part. Now, looking at Baltimore's offense, why would they be struggling like this? Danny O'Neill pointed this out on Twitter last night, uh, and I thought it was a really good comparison. Greg Roman is Baltimore's offensive coordinator. Greg Roman, that name, if it sounds familiar to you, he was San Francisco's offensive coordinator during the height of the 49ers-Seahawks rivalry. Now, if you remember, the quarterback for San Francisco at the time, Colin Kaepernick, who exploded onto the scene, was a dynamite quarterback his first couple of years in the league, really sort of changed how the position was played in terms of mobility, in terms of all that. And yet, 
San Francisco's offense did not improve from year to year, despite the the despite the skill set that Kaepernick showed in his first couple of seasons. Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator for both teams, you sense a trend here because I'm starting to sense one too. Uh, I wonder if it's Greg Roman who is most at fault for that. Uh, also on the report card today, Joe Burrow. Joey Burrow, number one overall pick, the golden boy. Uh, he is somebody that just looks totally unflappable. Uh, someone just so cool, Joe Cool. And yet, last uh, yesterday, last yesterday to be specific, so yesterday, uh, Joe Burrow was asked for whatever reason about why he is not into scary movies and scary TV shows. Here was his answer. I was scared of everything growing up. I still don't like scary movies. I don't like haunted houses or anything like that, but you know, I couldn't watch Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, House. I was like strictly a SpongeBob, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon kind of guy. Now, Joe Burrow, he is either getting ripped or people are coming to his defense on this. And I got to say, somebody that is not big into horror movies, not big into scary movies, I feel you, Joe Burrow. I really do feel you on that one because that's just not my scene. I'm not going to sit down for two hours, two and a half hours, and just get scared the entire time. Not about that. I'm sorry. You know, cast your stones as you will, but that's just not how I'm feeling it. Uh, but to say he was afraid of the show House with Hugh Laurie on on Fox, kind of, I mean, kind of a weird one. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily like a horror show or anything like that. I mean, House was a, a little weird. He was a weird guy, but uh, kind of strange to lump that in with all the other things uh, going on in that comment. Joe Burrow, I'll give you, since I, I empathize with you in that, I'll give you a C plus. Uh, but hey, you know, to each our own in terms of our favorite genres like that. And then finally on the report card, the news today dropping just a couple a uh, couple moments ago. Oh, uh, let's get some music for this one. Oh, you, you hear that song? It's from the weekend. He has been announced as this year's Super Bowl halftime performer, Super Bowl Fifty Five, the weekend. Well, it's good that it's on a Sunday because I don't know if they could get him to perform at all. But shout out to him, I guess. Uh, he'll be this year's halftime performer. Last year it was Jennifer Lopez and Shakira from Miami. This year, the weekend, will be tearing it up, I guess, in, in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, hopefully there's a Super Bowl to speak of. But yeah, he gets this year's nod as the halftime show performer. How are we grading that one? I'm going to give that decision. I'll give it a B. I mean, he he's not very controversial. I don't think there's going to be any sort of uh, wardrobe malfunction to speak of. That kind of is the uh, the first thing you think about now with halftime shows is, is this person capable of a wardrobe malfunction? Doesn't look like that's going to be the case with The weekend, but uh, we'll definitely, uh, you know, hopefully nothing like that happens. But, yeah, he's this year's halftime show performer announced by the NFL just uh, moments ago. So that is it for this report card. Be sure to Check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. And be sure you are listening to the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Up next, I get joined by Brock Heward, the one and only Brock Heward. We take a look at what the Seahawks are facing against the Rams. Also, some Husky and Coog talk. 
What do we expect from these Huskies their first time out here in 2020? That's all coming your way next. I'm Curtis Rogers filling in for John Clayton on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Joining me is Brock Heward right now here on 710 ESPN Seattle. And Brock, I mean, what's worse for Seahawks fans, you on the call or or Troy Aikman on the call of any game? (laughs) They lucked out this week. You're not on because you've been part of, I believe, was the two highest scoring games of Pete Carroll's tenure. Yes, when I got to do radio a few years back against the uh, actually the team the Seahawks will play Sunday, the Rams got a chance to work with uh, with Rabel. Was super excited, like this is amazing, CenturyLink Field. Here come the Rams, and that was the bloodbath. That was the one that could have been like eighty-five to ten, um, but they called off Todd Gurley, and I don't even think Todd Gurley carried the ball in the in the second half after running for one hundred fifty yards. That's when Earl and Bobby, you know, had their name in each other's mouths and all that all that stuff. So that was my first. Yeah, yeah, that was my first chance, and then was super excited to get this opportunity on on Sunday to call the Bills Seahawks, the six and two Bills, the six and one Hawks. Greg Jennings got bumped to another crew because of COVID stuff, so it was just kind of a traditional two man booth, which was awesome. And then, yes, it uh, the the <laughs> the opening fifty yard kickoff was a little indicator <laughs> of one team that was juiced up, planned up, ready to attack, and the other one that just was reeling the entire game. See, Raj. Yeah, the Seahawks so flat on Sunday. When you look at what they're facing in this Rams team, you know, a lot different than Rams teams we've seen in the past. Uh, there's no Todd Gurley anymore, but there are still, you know, some familiar faces McVay, Goff, yep. Aaron Donald. What do you see from this Rams team on Sunday that will give Seattle some challenges? Well, it's the one team that has challenged Russell. I think Russell's lost seven of his last ten to these Rams, just three and seven in his last ten. And we know the problem that the best defensive player in the league has caused, and he's, he's wreaked havoc against the Seahawks, especially it feels like every time down in L.A. in that Coliseum, Aaron Donald was four yards deep, like at the snap, every single occasion, both pass and run. So that guy's a monster. He's going to be lined up right on Damian Lewis, I am sure, right on his shoulder as much as they possibly can. And, uh, and you know, we'll try to attack it. We'll see if Ethan Posick can go. Uh, he missed practice. That would be a substantial blow. Who, you know, a guy who's really played well this year. And, and you really don't want any weakness in the middle of your offensive line when you're facing those guys. You know, it, it's interesting, C. Raj. I, I had uh, actually the Rams against the Bills in, in somewhat of a similar game up in Buffalo. I think the Rams even fell behind 25 to nothing in that game, much like the Seahawks did 17 nothing. But this Rams team is not as exotic as they used to be. They used to be a blitz fest on defense with Wade Phillips. They've slowed that down they play a lot of just four down kind of like the Seahawks used to do way back when when they just kind of lined up and you got to deal with us and instead of being out of position they want Aaron Donald's cleats in the ground and and you know um, Leonard Floyd's off to a nice a nice first half of the year for him they're coming off of a bye so they're simplified on defense but you still got to beat them. You got to block Aaron Donald. You got to beat Jalen Ramsey. You got to, you know, be covered. That's going to be an awesome matchup. I'm sure Jalen's going to follow uh, DK. They've, they've matched him at times against elite receivers. So that will be must see TV. And then the Seahawks defense has just got to, they've got to wake up. That was, that was embarrassing over the weekend. 
Ken Norton referenced that. Pete Carroll has talked to it. That is unrecognizable football. And I think it will be a different uh, amount of energy Sunday against a more familiar scheme, more familiar foe. And they're going to have to uh, defend in space because Sean McVay watched that Buffalo tape. And while they don't throw it as nearly as much as Buffalo, their personnel is different. They will see Raj attack space as much as they possibly can. And let's hope the Seahawks defenders are a whole lot better than they were last week. Speaking of Seattle's defense, yesterday Will Blackman, uh, former DB in the NFL, he's done some analyst work here and there. Uh, he was on with Tom, Jake, and Stacy, and he said because he spent some time in the Seahawks program a few years back. Uh, specifically the Legion of Boom era, and he said that those guys, it was almost as though they had their own language. They knew so yep. they knew how to predict where each other was going to go, and he he kind of noticed that this year's Seahawks defense it doesn't look like no. you know they're on that same page at all yes. this year. <laughs> what do you think it is about this defense that has led to so much confusion and, and led to so many blown assignments and, and just? the the stark contrast from those guys who were on you know who were speaking the same language just you know five six years ago to what it is now yeah that's a good point I think there's a couple things see Roger the excuse and the explanation is he didn't have an off season with all sorts of moving parts right I mean that that is going to be the the if you want to live in that kind of silo of excuses and rightful explanations you know Quentin Dunbar had a disastrous off season didn't even know if he could play in 2020 and was you know no spring no OTAs none of that for and and Pete believes in that you know like he really he's not one of these ah let's just get through it it is teaching it is growing it's putting the language in it's all of that all of that communication Jamal Adams didn't have that off season and then you know you've had a host of injuries with guys in and out as Pete said leading up to the Bills game like man you know we finally kind of get our crew on the field here. And now, well, it looks like Dunbar is not going to be able to go, and Chad Griffin probably won't go. And so you still have a bunch of moving parts. Secondly, you know, back in the day at Kent Ridge, oh. when you were playing that 2 3 zone and hoops, right? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to uh, Dave Jameson. <laughs> yes. You know, what are the best zone teams? What Mike Hopkins at the University of Washington and Jim Beheim, when you play that zone, you have to know where everybody is. You can't be thinking. You can't be like, well, is he going to take this You know, low post? If they go high, low, who's got the short corner? You can't sit and think. You have to know just uh, you know, without a doubt exactly what your buddy's doing next to you, and you don't have that, and you have missed assignments. You have, you know, Sunday's tape was, was brutal. I mean, it really, you see, Raj, of all of the different tapes I've watched of the Seahawks defensively, the coach's tape, that was as difficult a tape as I've ever, 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 ever watched. Does I get an NC seventeen rating on it? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, Pete's, Pete's words were were on point post game before he even looked at it on his five hour flight home from Buffalo. That I'm sure he was vomiting in his mouth because this just this is unrecognizable. You're not lining up correctly. You're you're you're, you're not even covering guys at times by formation. Your technique is terrible. You're you're not playing the ball. I mean, it was just a uh, just not Seahawk football. So it's got to be flushed. Um, those type of humbling performances and tell the truth Monday was was brutally difficult. And, you know, let's see if Bobby and KJ and Jamal and all of them, because all of them did not play their best ball Sunday. Brock, while I've got you here for, for a couple more minutes, I mean, college football in the Pac-12 got off to about the shakiest start possible <laughs> yes. last Saturday. Uh, a third of the conference sitting at home. Your alma mater, my alma mater, didn't even get a chance to play. Uh, the Huskies, though, getting a chance at this Oregon State team, I think a team that in any normal capacity 
you'd probably expect Oregon State to be a bowl team, seven wins maybe, because they, they were looking good last year under Jonathan Smith. This Husky team, though, what do you expect from them in this abbreviated season? New head coach, new quarterback. We still don't even know who the quarterback is. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking for the Huskies on Saturday? Well, I would say this, C. Raj, if Levi Onzerike walked through the door, and he's not. He opted out, and he's getting ready for the NFL. If he walked through the door, that defense in Seattle would give you know just anybody, uh, with all the other opt-outs of Oregon and everything else, they would give anybody a, a, a tremendous test this season. They, they'd be as good as anybody in the conference. He's not there, so I've got to kind of see if some of these younger D linemen have grown up a little bit, if they're going to take on and fill that enormous void. Because Levi was, speaking of playing well, there were very few D linemen in all the country doing what he was doing by by year's end last year. Uh, secondary is going to be elite. Linebackers are going to be better. Receivers are going to be as dynamic as we've seen in a long, long time. Kate Otten's a phenomenal tight end, enough experience back on the O line. So it really comes down to to running back and quarterback and what we can, you know, just in, in a whole new offensive system that I think everybody's kind of anxious to see, you know, because Jimmy Jimmy Lake had his pick and the, and this is what he wanted. This is the style that he wanted to play but I expect that defense to play very very well Oregon State struggled against the Cougs and I would think Saturday night on FS1 uh, this is about the perfect opponent for Jimmy to begin his career as a new uh, head man at the University of Washington well and then uh, across the the Palouse you've got the Cougs second start for Jaden Delora but it's going to be a tough one against number 11 Oregon uh, what did you see from Delora in the opener that uh, may give you know, some some positive vibes heading into that sure. Oregon game that just could, some fun, could be, yeah. right? See, Raj, he just was fun, and they and then he remembered, oh, that's right, you can still run the ball uh, <laughs> at that school, like that. That's not illegal. You can still, you know, by formation, get into some some different uh, schemes and and run it, and and oh, that's the run and shoot. That's not just the air raid, and the run and shoot does include running. And when you've got and you watch kind of June Jones in his time in Hawaii, Colt Brennan, obviously oh, through for a gazil- gazillion yards. Everybody did that dark. Visor. Timmy Chang. Oh, yes. Devon um, Bess throwing it to him. <laughs> yes. Chad Owens. You need me to keep going? There you go. Yeah. You know it. Uh, but really after Brennan, if you looked at it, uh, in June, and even in the XFL that I got to call this year when June was down there with Houston, you know, he picked a little more mobile guy. You know, it's not just a run and shoot, just sit in there and, and just have a, a target back there. He liked a little athleticism, and that's exactly what Rolo's got in his in his freshman, freshman of the week in the conference. Shout out. Don't care how many games are played. Done. You win that hardware. And, yeah, he's just got a, he's got a little flair, man. He's got a charisma. He's got some fun. Guys played really, really hard, and they'll do the same Saturday against a much, much more talented team out of the state of Oregon. He is Brock Heward, but you don't need me to tell you that. Brock, thank you so much for stopping by. You can uh, download the Brock and Salk podcast wherever it is you get your podcast, 710sports.com. Brock, you have yourself a great rest of your day, and, and uh, you got, what, Jags Packs? Uh, yeah, Jags I get Packers? to see the old Marysville Pilchuck to Idaho Vandal Ooh. to Ventura College to Oregon State Beaver Jake. to now Jacksonville Jaguars starting quarterback Jake Luton. So, yep, he gets to face Aaron Rodgers uh, in Lambeau Sunday, and uh, will be a blast. Appreciate it, Brock. You got to see Rodgers. See you, buddy. There goes Brock Heward. Coming up next, the Graz. He stops by for your daily dose, my daily dose, our daily dose of the Graz. Curtis Rogers filling in for the professor, John Clayton, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Curtis Rogers here filling in for the professor today. And it's that time. It is 1145 
We are joined, as we are every single day, by the Graz. And Graz, here in 2020, everything's been thrown upside down. You never know what, what's happening next. And today, in November, we get the Masters. It's usually Easter weekend back in April. Uh, but today, over in Augusta National, they're teeing off. Tiger Woods actually looking pretty good through round one. How weird is it to watch a staple of the sports calendar at the complete opposite time of year as we're used to seeing it? Well, you know, Curtis, it's it's getting to be familiar, though, isn't it? I mean, it's just it it, it figures. I mean, it's it's this is really bizarre, though, having it in November, um, which makes it a different golf course entirely for guys. Uh, I think it's just it's just as strange as having the NBA like we had it up against uh, the NFL playoffs and. And hockey going in, in a strange time. Uh, you know, baseball managed to stick with their schedule. Football managed to stick with their schedule, but everyone else has been scrambling. So it's a surprise. But I think you know when you when you watch it, and then I watched some of it this morning. You know, there is something about it that that um, I, I was curious to see if the course would look the same in November as it does in April. And uh, for the most part, it does. For the most part, it does. So uh, it, 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 there's a familiar feeling to it as well as kind of the alien feeling to it that uh, that it's November and they're playing the Masters, for crying out loud. Yeah, the weather's good right now. Obviously, they have the, the rain delay to start things off, the three-hour delay, but it looks like everything is, is in ship shape in the afternoon slate here. Uh, Tiger Woods getting close uh, to the leaderboard. He's just three shots back through 14 today. Uh, Tiger Woods, obviously the big draw in the Masters. Mm-hmm. You've you've obviously you know been around for his entire career. Sure. What do you think is left for him to accomplish? Do you think Jack is within reach? I mean, he won the Masters a year ago, but it's been uh, sort of a uh, you know a, a desert for him ever since then. What is there left for Tiger to accomplish? Let me answer that question by uh, telling you a story about him when he was in college that, that I had related to me down uh, in San Francisco. And, and this may give you an idea of, of where he is in terms of competitive and, and where he probably wants to go. Uh, when he was at Stanford for the one year that he, that he, played, that he went to school there, their, uh, their home course was the Olympic course in San Francisco where they've had some U.S. Opens, a pretty famous course. And so once a week, uh, sometimes twice a week, the Stanford team would come over there because that was their, considered their home course. And Nota Begay, who's a good pro, was on that team too. And, and I talked to a guy, you know, who was a member there who said that, that, you know, they were always, everyone knew who Tiger was, of course. You knew who Tiger was as a little kid. And, uh, it was, it was, you know, everyone was kind of, you know, flocking around him every time he was there. And he noticed his routine and he did the same thing in his routine, which was, you know, did, did the stuff, played the rounds, did the practice shots. But then he ended his day by going to the putting green, setting up about 15 feet away. And he would want to put 10 putts in the left side of the cup, in the cup, but in the left side, 10 putts down the middle and 10 putts to the right side of the cup. So this guy would watch him every, every, every week that he would do this. And he'd see him go 10 in the left side of the cup, 10 in the middle side of the cup. And then he'd do like eight in the right side of the cup. And then the ninth one would go right in the middle and he would start over 10 in the left. And then he'd do seven in the middle. And then the eighth one in the middle would go in the left side of the cup, still going in and he would start over. And he would do this every single time. And, and um, you know, most of the time he'd miss, I, I assumed, most of the time he'd miss the bus and, and he'd have to get a ride. And I asked him, I asked the guy, how many times did he actually accomplish it? Get the 10 on the left side of the cup, 10 in the middle of the cup, 10 on the right side of the cup. And he said he never did it. He never accomplished it. But he never stopped trying to do it. He never took the team bus back. He always had to get a ride back from someone else because he stayed longer. 
that's kind of the, the, the Tiger Woods, the, the, the drive that, that, that's percolating in there. I mean, he's got natural ability, but what sets the really great ones apart is, is a work ethic that is hard for those of us who don't have it to understand. So to answer your question, knowing that that's what burns inside of Tiger Woods, I don't have any doubt that his goal is to surpass Jack Nicholas and, and uh, set all kinds of new standards. I don't think that has changed at all. I don't think money has changed that. I don't think things in his life has changed that. I think the big problem he had was physically and uh, wasn't able to practice the way, as I just told you, he, he wants to practice. So I think that um, he, he doesn't feel like he's, he's, he's accomplished everything he set out to accomplish at all. My guess is he's still going to be uh, hard after Jack Nicholas and, and hard after uh, continuing to, to set golfing records because he is blessed with that kind of crazed work ethic that, like I said, that none of us can really kind of deal with. The Graz joining me here on, on 710. And Graz, yesterday we saw the Cy Young Award announcements uh, for the American League and National League. Shane Bieber, Shane Bieber of Cleveland uh, picking it up in the American League. And then Trevor Bauer in the National League. Now, the interesting thing about Bauer is that he is a free agent this offseason. He's made, made it pretty well known that he's open to any offer from anybody. Uh, he's you know, he's said he could do one-year deals for the next few years or however you just look at it. The Mariners, uh, you can never have enough pitching. Would you be a fan or would you uh, encourage the Mariners to go after Trevor Bauer? Because I believe he also lives up here in the offseason too. He would be a guy, if I was the Mariners, I'd be very interested in. And, and look, I, I think I, I have the, the hesitation that everyone has to do a an eight or nine or a 10 year deal with a pitcher, unless you're someone like the Yankees where money doesn't mean anything and, and it doesn't matter what you get out of it. But um, the Mariners need to make a splash and, and, you know, think about the the teams that, that they, they might be kind of aping a little bit, you know, and, and, and look at San Diego. I mean, San Diego came out of the woodwork for Manny Machado and uh, what Manny Machado did was, was make everything else possible for them. And this was a team that was in the postseason this year. I think it's to be good going forward. Um, you know, the, they put together the good young talent and they made the blockbuster move to kind of signal to the rest of the league that they were open for business, that they were, they were serious about competing. And that's what the Mariners as an organization need to do. And that's what a Trevor Bauer signing would do, in my opinion. It would, it would absolutely signal to other free agents, uh, you know, who might be out there that, hey, there's a new player. The Mariners are back in business. And, uh, you know, it really worked for San Diego. And uh, so the short answer to your question is I, I don't think I'd do a 10-year deal. But I would definitely be interested, and, and I would understand overpaying for a four- or five-year deal to kind of get the double whammy, you know, to A, get a great player and, and have a great uh, you know partner there with Marco Gonzalez, have a great one-two punch at the top of your rotation. And then secondly, you know, kind of signaling to the rest of the league that you're, you're open for business, that, you know, you are, you are now the Mariners are, are a team that's competing. So uh, I, I think it's something that they should pursue, and, and I got a funny feeling they might pursue it. I, I would hope so. I mean, it just just like you said, to kind of signal to the rest of, of baseball, like, hey, yeah, we're going through this youth movement up here, but we're serious about competing, and, and let's surround these these young players with, with big talents. I mean, it happened in Houston, too, where they got tr- Justin Verlander. They added him to that team with you know Altuve, Correa, Springer, that, their young core. Uh, you, like you mentioned with the Padres, Manny Machado, adding him to Tatis and, and all those guys, Jake Cronenworth. Uh, it could it could really speed things up here. Where Jerry Depoto a couple of days ago he was on uh, with uh, Jake and Stacy and Tom and it said that uh, you know we were set back about a half a year because of the the pandemic in our in our rebuild. Making moves like that I think would speed things up. 
I think it would, and, and and don't forget the impact it would have on the fan base too. I mean, it would be galvanizing. I mean, Kyle Lewis has had an impact. You know, the fact that now I think as as Mariner fans, you see that this is not just another uh, you know faint stab at a youth movement at, at a rebuild. That it really is that you really do have good young players that are that are on the rise and and that are that are part of the organization. You have the rookie of the year for the first time in a long time. So yeah, don't forget too that it, it actually signals to the fan base that. You're ready to break the longest drought in pro sports and go into the postseason. So uh, I think for, for a variety of reasons, if it's not Bauer, I, I expect the Mariners this year uh, to go ahead and, and, and try and make a splash in, in free agency and, and, and I guess, you know, kind of turn the page on, on, on the rebuild and, and, and get into, uh, all right, we're ready to compete now. This has been your Daily Dose of the Graz. Graz, I really appreciate you stopping by, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Curtis, sounds great, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. That is Graz. That's going to do it for us here this morning. The huddle coming your way next. Uh, Plenty of good Seahawks guests coming up over the next two hours. I'm Curtis Rogers filling in for John Clayton. This is 710 ESPN Seattle.